open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And as you do, I want to uh, read a verse from a different book, John chapter 15. You can listen to this as you turn. This is Jesus speaking with his disciples, the upper room discourse, and here's what he said to them. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is teaching a principle here that true friendship requires self-disclosure. Real relationship requires opening up and, and sharing and, and the revealing of things that only you know. But he's going further than just teaching that principle. Jesus is actually applying that in his relationship with his disciples, that, that we are no longer servants, but we are friends. And how do we know that we are his friends? Because all that he has heard from his Father, he has made known to us. All that he's heard from his Father, he has revealed to those who are his disciples. This this act of revelation, this act of self-disclosure, is one of the blessings of being a follower of Christ. And it's the blessing that Paul turns to in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. We are in the book of Ephesians. We have been going through this, this rich paragraph in verses 3 through 14 where it's just Paul's this extended declaration of praise from the Apostle Paul to God for all the spiritual blessings that he's given us in Christ. In chapter 1 verse 3 Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's just bursting out with praise to God as he thinks about all the blessings he's given us. And then as he starts going through this paragraph he just is listing and meditating on what these blessings are. And and he says, Praise God for the blessing of election. Praise God that he chose us. Praise God that he predestined us. And then he says, Praise God for the blessing of adoption. He brought us into his family. He's made us sons and daughters. So praise God for the blessing of redemption. He's forgiven our sins. He's set us free through the blood of Christ. And then this week, he's going to say, praise God for the blessing of revelation. Praise God for the blessing of revelation. Now, as we go through this paragraph and as we study these words each week, our goal, our desire is that we would, with Paul, praise God. That's what we want every week as we go through this paragraph. We want to say, with Paul, blessed be God. And so what we want this morning is is to think about revelation, think about what Paul says about revelation in such a way that it leads us to say with him, praise be to God. For his revelation in Christ. Praise be to God for what he has made known to us in Christ. And so this morning we're going to see three things that we need to understand about this blessing if we're going to respond the way that Paul responds, if we're going to let it well up in our hearts to to lead to praise to God. We need to understand what this blessing is all about. So this morning, three things to understand about the blessing of revelation. And the first thing is the grace of revelation, the grace of revelation. You know, have you ever um, heard this this argument against Christians? That essentially this complaint that says, how, "How can you believe that you know the truth and no one else in the world does?" 
And is that not arrogant? To believe that you know the way to God, you know the way to heaven, and everyone else is wrong, and they're all going to go to hell because of it. Hindus are wrong, Buddhists are wrong, atheists are wrong, Jewish people are wrong, Muslims are wrong. They're all wrong. They're all going to go to hell, but you are right, and you will go to heaven. It's not arrogant to believe. And I mean, even just personally, not just hearing it from someone else, but have you ever just wondered to yourself, do I really believe that I'm right and everybody else that disagrees with me is wrong about this? Is that not arrogant of us to believe? I think this passage helps us understand why it's not. I want to pick up in verse 7 because in in verse 8, Paul's really in mid-sentence. And so let's pick up in verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That's what we looked at last week, that we have been redeemed, and that redemption comes through the riches of God's grace. And then verse 8, he says, Which he lavished upon us which he lavished upon us. So, so God in redemption has, has given us grace, and, and now he's lavishing that grace on us. He's pouring out that grace on us. He's not just giving us some grace. He's just, he's just pouring out the riches of his grace on us. And how is he doing that? How does God lavish his grace on us? In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. God lavishes his grace on believers by making known to us the mystery of his will. The the revelation of God's will, the making known of this mystery, is lavish grace from God. It's the grace of revelation. This word mystery, the mystery of his will, is not a a whodunit. It's not a Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew type of mystery, right? This this is a a word that means that something that was hidden and is now made known. Something that was concealed but is now revealed. The, the, The mystery is not something that's mysterious anymore because God makes it known. And what is the mystery about? It's the mystery of his will, the mystery of his purpose, God, God has shown us what used to be hidden, which, which was what is God's purpose? What is God's will? God has made it known to us in Christ. And this is his lavish grace to us. It's not anything to do with us. It's not because we figured it out. No, it's his lavish grace to us. You know, many of you probably are familiar with this illustration of, of four blind men who are trying to figure out what an elephant is. Right? They've never seen it before. And they're all blind, and so they're trying to figure out what, what this is. And he's just picture a big elephant here, all right? And, and you got one guy up here, and he's, he's feeling a tusk, and he's saying it's a, it's a spear. Guys, this is a spear. And the other one's over here, and he's, he's feeling uh, the, the, the body. He's saying, no, it's, it's a wall. It's not a spear, it's a wall. And, and someone's back here at the tail saying, no, it's a rope. And someone's over here at the leg and saying, no, this is, it's a trunk. It's a tree trunk, and they're all saying different things. Now, this illustration supposedly shows us that we all just have limited vantage points on the truth. But there's something majorly wrong with saying that's what the illustration teaches us. It's actually a great illustration, but not of that. It actually shows us that, that they're all wrong. They're all wrong, right? It's not a spear. It's not a tree. It's not a wall. It's not a rope. It's an elephant. But they're all wrong. Right? No, no one has a vantage point on the truth. They're all blind, and no one has any idea what they're dealing with. And this is true of us. This is true of all people. None of us know. No worldview has a vantage point on the truth. We're all blind. But, but just imagine with me 
that one of these blind men go home. Let's say this is their full-time job. They do this every day. Try to figure it out. So they're going home for the night, long day's work. And, and on his way home, he comes across a healer who touches his eyes, gives him sight. And for the first time in his life, he can see clearly. And he runs back to, to the elephant. He's like, it's an elephant. It's an animal. It's called an elephant. And, and, and his friends come the next day. And he says, guys, I can see now. We were all wrong. It's an elephant. This is what Christians believe has happened to us. We were all blind. We had no vantage point on the truth that was better than anyone else. We didn't, we didn't figure it out through our intuition. No, God came and he opened our spiritual eyes and he made us see what we could never have seen. We were blind and now we see, now we know because of his grace to us. Not because of our wisdom, not because of our insight, not because we we're smarter or better, but because of his grace to us. It says, lavish grace to reveal to us the mystery of his will. This is the grace of revelation. How do we know that there is one way? How do we know that Jesus is the Savior? How do we know that he died on the cross for our sins? It's because God, in his lavish grace, has made it known to us. We were blind, but now we see And that is our testimony to all. And he's made it known to us so that we can go and make it known to others. Not in pride, but in in thankfulness and humility, saying we we were blind too, but now we see and we want you to know what is true. This is the grace of revelation. Now, what is it specifically in this passage that God has made known. He says the mystery of his will, right? What, what is his will? What has God made known to us? And so this leads to the second point, the content of revelation. We have the grace of revelation that we know because of God's lavish grace to us. Now let's look at the content of this revelation. Verses 9 and 10, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. What is it that God has revealed to us about the mystery of his will? What has God made known to us about the mystery of his will? First, here's what God has made known to us. He has made known to us that history is going according to plan. History is going according to plan. God has a plan, church. God has a plan. Look look at what he says. He, He says that he set forth his purpose in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. He he set forth his purpose. He he laid out his purpose as a plan for the fullness of time. But before he created anything, he laid it out ahead of time, and he's bringing it to completion at the fullness of time. At the end of history, he's going to bring this plan to completion. God has a plan. God is working his plan. God is in control. It doesn't feel like that to us, does it? Life in this world doesn't feel like this. Have you ever been part of maybe putting on an event? We're going to have a, a, a wedding reception here in a few weeks, and, and I'm sure there's going to be chaos here. Have you ever been part of, of the chaos? And, and you don't know, how is this going to happen? 
But, but what, you know, Joey, are your company getting a, a football stadium ready for a big game? I'm sure that you've experienced the chaos of how is this going to happen. But, but, but through that chaos, there, 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 what happens is someone does know what's going on. Someone is in control. Someone is moving the parts the right way. And, and, and they bring that chaos back together. This is what God is doing in the world. We, the world is chaotic. The world is scary. The world is overwhelming to us. I was, just, I was just trying to think of the most recent headlines and news stories that I've read. And, and, and this is the world that we live in. We, we live in a world where, where every day we have a new a terrorist threat or, or, or dictatorship that's got a nuclear bomb getting ready for us. Right? We, we, and we see that. And then, and then we live in a world where, where we, we read that our kid's cereal is all of a sudden laced with arsenic for some reason, right? And it's like, where did that come from? We, we, there's, a, there's a pandemic breaking out all over the world and we're getting quarantined. Like, this is the world we live in. Just everywhere we turn, there's overwhelming, scary, chaotic things. We each experience it. We experience loss. We experience, we experience tragedy. We experience suffering. We are, we are weary. We're tired. We're sick. We're, we, we see people dying in every way you could think to die. This is the chaos of the broken world we live in. And yet, God is in control. And history is going according to plan. It is all going according to plan. It's not to say that God is responsible for the evil in the world. It's not to say that, that humans in their sin are not responsible for the brokenness of the world. We are, but it didn't catch God off guard. We don't believe that God was caught off guard. This isn't his plan B. He's not trying to just respond to what we've done. God knew it would be like this all along. It is all going according to plan. God is bringing order out of the chaos. He will bring order out of that chaos. And that plan, is, is, is that's true at the highest levels, the biggest levels. God is, God is in, in charge of history when it comes to kingdoms and kings and empires falling and rising. And, he, and he's in charge of the details of your life, the, the home you live in, the, the children you have, the, the job you have, the sufferings you're experiencing. God is in control of every detail. And it's all going according to his plan. He set forth a plan. He set forth a plan in Christ and he will bring it to completion at the fullness of time. Now, what is that plan? What, what is the plan? That's what we're asking. Well, how, how, how is this a plan? How is this chaos going to come to order? And we see what the plan is in verse 10. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. You know, there's, there's no possible way for me to overstate what Paul just said. But Paul is saying, this is the purpose of the universe. This is God's plan for all of history. This is where the cosmos are headed, visible and invisible. Everything is coming to this point, the fullness of time, that God is going to unite all things in Christ. This is it. Right here, we're reading it this morning. This is what God is doing. This is his plan to unite all things in Christ, to make everything one in Jesus. This word unite means, means to sum up everything in Christ with Christ being the focal point of it all. 
Christ is the center of it all. He is the point of it all. Just like it says in Colossians, that in all things he might be preeminent. Christ is the point. All things will find their oneness again in him. We live in a broken world. We live in a, in a cursed world. But God is in control, working his plan that he set forth at the beginning to bring everything back into order and rightness and wholeness again in Christ. You know, we had a bathroom project going on this past year in our house, and we we just had a, no bathroom in our master bathroom for many months, and our contractor kept saying to us, we're going to make you whole again. We're going to make you whole again. That's what God is doing. God is making everything whole again. He's making it all right again. He's making it all good again. He's making it all one in Christ again. All the brokenness, all the chaos, all the suffering, all the confusion. One day, at the fullness of time, at the end of history, God is going to make it all one in Christ. He's going to bring that, that, that idea. It's not. It's not just. Don't don't think it's all going to be just one substance, globby substance. You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about making it all whole, making it all reconciled, making it all relate the way it should relate. One in. Christ, Christ being the focal point of it all. This is what God is doing. This is the revelation. This is the purpose of all things. This is what God has made known to us. A part of that making everything one, part of that making everything right, includes the justice that needs to be meted out against evil in this world. Seen and unseen. And what that means for us is that, is that making everything right is not necessarily good news. Making everything one in Christ is not necessarily good news because we are sinners who are part of the problem. And this is why Jesus came the first time to make a way for us to be part of that creation. Turn, turn over in your Bible to the book of Colossians, just one Two books over in the book of Colossians. And look what Paul says in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God is making everything one in Jesus. But when Jesus came the first time, he came to bring us into that oneness, to reconcile us. He, he died on the cross, not just to make everything reconciled, but, but, but first and foremost, to reconcile sinners to himself. You see, there's, there's a personal and a cosmic dimension to the cross. What did that passage say? That he's he's reconciling all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. This oneness that's going to happen in the universe is going to happen because Jesus died on the cross. But but why did he die on the cross? He died on the cross for, for our sins. He died on the cross because we rebelled against God. You see, the, the, the brokenness of this world is directly tied to the sinfulness of humanity. And Jesus, in dying on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment, he, he is making a way for 
us who are the image of God to be reconciled to God and, and set free from the curse so that creation itself one day will be set free. So, so there's this day coming when everything will be made one, everything will be made whole, everything will be made right, and we get to be a part of that if now we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus who died on the cross for us. That will be a good day. That will be a glorious day. That will be a day where we are part of making everything whole again. But if we don't trust in him now, if we're not reconciled to him now, then what will happen on that day is we will be part of the justice that is meted out. We will receive the wrath that is due to us. And so this morning, understand that God is making everything one in Jesus. And if you have not trusted in him, if you are not reconciled to him, that is not good news. You need to be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. Understand that you are a sinner. Understand that you are responsible for the brokenness of this world. Turn from your sin to him. Trust his sacrifice on the cross for you. Thank him for dying for you. And be reconciled to Christ this morning. All those who are reconciled to him now will enjoy that final full restoration one day. This is what God has made known to us. This is the mystery of his will. This is his plan, church. And this is what makes Paul burst out in praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul thinks about these things, he just says, praise be to God for making this known to us. And I'll just confess, when I first read this passage this week, it kind of surprised me that Paul went here. He's praising God for blessings, election, yes, adoption, yes, redemption, yes, I would have thought justification next, or, or glorification, or, 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 or something else. But he says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Praise God for revelation. And it's made me ask, why does Paul go here? And, and, and what about what is it about this revelation that makes Paul burst out in praise? Why is this such a big deal to him? Why should it be such a big deal to us that God has made this known? So the third thing today, the significance of revelation, the significance of this mystery made known. First, it gives us, church, real purpose. This gives us real purpose in this world. How many of you have a dog? I don't have a dog in here. Okay, your dog does not long for purpose in this world. Your dog longs for food. That's about it. (laughs) But you long for purpose. I long for purpose. We all intrinsically long for purpose in this world. We want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We want to be part of something that matters, something that counts, something that lasts. And without that purpose, we we, we are, are left helpless and hopeless in this world. But, again, if we're, if we're all spiritually blind and we long for purpose, what do we do? We, we create our own purpose. Right? We, have, we just have to define it ourselves, find, find purpose out of nowhere so that, so that we have something to live for. You know, if you are, say, say that you're playing chess and, and uh, someone puts you in front of a chessboard to play and... and, and, and they tell you you got to win, and, and you realize, uh, I've never even heard of the game chess. I have no idea how to play. And so you've got to figure out, what does this game even mean? How do I win? And so you decide for yourself, uh, I think that you win chess by getting all the pawns off the board on the other team. 
their side. And, and so that's what you do. You go, you go for it, and you, you successfully get every pawn of the other player. And then pretty soon you hear them say, checkmate. And they won the game. You, you succeeded in what purpose you contrived for the game. But the problem is that's not the game. Right? It's not the game. You, you made it up, and it didn't actually count for anything. This is exactly what we do as humans. We create purpose in this world, but that's not the actual purpose. And when Christ returns, we're going to see this didn't count for anything. It didn't matter. It, didn't, it doesn't last. It's not true. It's an arbitrary, contrived purpose that did not line up with real reality. But God has given us real purpose in showing us what everything really is about, that it's all about Christ. And so we have real purpose in our lives. We have purpose that will last. We have purpose that is true. We have purpose that counts for something. When we align our lives with the glory of Christ, we can know that everything we do for the glory of Christ matters. It all counts. It will all last. It's all significant. Why? Because everything is about Christ. We get to be a part of that. We don't need to make up the rules. We don't need to find purpose. We don't, we don't just seek purpose in career or health or family or money or whatever else it might be. We find our purpose in Christ who is the actual purpose. He is the focal point. He is the one in whom all things will be summed up. And so align your life with the purpose God has revealed to you. God has shown this to us, or she's shown us what life is all about. Align your life with that purpose. Align your life with the glory of Christ. Make your marriages about the glory of Christ. Make your parenting about the glory of Christ. Make your kids' education about the glory of Christ. Make this church about the glory of Christ. Make your involvement in the community about the glory of Christ. Make your job decisions about the glory of Christ. Make your your home locations about the glory of Christ. Make it all about the glory of Christ, because that's what matters. That's what counts. That's what it's all about. God has shown it to us. That's real purpose, church. We don't need to wonder if it will matter. It will matter. It will all count. I think this is one reason why we can say praise God for revealing to us what he's doing in this world. But another reason is that it gives us not only real purpose, it gives us bold hope. It gives us a bold hope, church. You know, our kids are really into fairy tales right now. I would say that Lucy especially is very much into fairy tales, and Jack especially is very much into superheroes and bad guys and all those things. And so, you know, how does a good fairy tale end? And they all lived happily ever after, right? And, and, and when you had a superhero uh, show going on, and, and Jack will say, there's bad guys, I'm scared. I just say, Jack, don't worry, the good guys are going to win. Don't worry, just keep watching. They're going to win. Don't worry about it. But these are, this is fairy tales, right? This is stories. This isn't real life. We know that it's not always happily ever after. We know that the good guys don't always win. Except church. What this passage is saying is that we actually believe in the happiest of endings. We actually believe that in the end, evil will be defeated. Realize that we believe it will all be good in the end. 
realize that we believe it will all be right in the end. It will truly be made whole in the end. And listen, there's nothing in this world that that we can look at and say, see, it's going in the right direction, isn't it? See, things are on the upswing in this world. No, no, there's nothing in this world that should make us believe that it will all be right, that it will all be good. All be, we believe because of the grace of revelation. We believe because God has made known to us the purpose of his will. We believe that in the end, he will unite all things in Christ, and therefore we have a bold hope in this world. We have a hope that doesn't make sense to, to, to those who don't know this. That why, why would we believe that it's all going to be good? Why would we believe it's all going to be good? Because God has shown it to us. We believe in the happiest of endings, church. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. Listen to what he says. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. What sad things have you experienced in your life? Everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. This is our bold hope in this broken world. And we believe it because God has given us the grace of revelation. He has told us it will be so. So this morning, are you weary? Are you confused? Are you grieved? Are you broken? Are you suffering? Are you discouraged? Listen, living your life for the glory of Christ is not an easy life. It's a, it's a cross-bearing life. It's a, it's a difficult life. It's, it's, it's hard to live life in this world for the glory of Christ. That's our purpose But how do we keep going on that purpose when it's hard, when suffering comes? We we, we keep on going in this purpose because we have this hope. And we have this hope because God has shown us what he's going to do at the fullness of time. And so keep on living for the glory of Christ, knowing that one day... He will return, and everything will be made one in Him. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't take the easy path. Continue to live for the glory of Christ, who is the focal point of all the universe. Because we have this hope that one day everything sad will come untrue. One day everything will be made one in Jesus. We have a real purpose, and we have a bold hope, and this is all because of the grace of of God. We have nothing to boast in this morning, but we can celebrate these truths. We can, we can just revel in this revelation this morning. Give praise to God this morning for the spiritual blessing of his revelation in Christ. Let's pray.